All right, what up, everybody? We're live. Uh, welcome to the uh, Millennial and Marine Podcast Story Time Edition Number Two. That's right, Story Time Edition Number Two. The first one was uh, uh, the Real Hundred Acres, and this one is called the Mosquito Motel. Um, it's a horror story I wrote based on a nightmare I had, um, and uh, turned into a creative writing class and i probably shouldn't have done that because you're forced to read it and so a lot of people that uh that don't normally read horror had to read this and um yeah it, it upset a few people so yeah um but uh anyway if you like horror um here's a short story so we'll just get this started let's do it mosquito motel yes this is the mosquito motel one I decided to write this as sort of a guidebook. I see the media making a farce of what people call vampires. Television, movies, and books have romanticized them to the point of becoming an actual hazard. I'm quite certain this is a thing that has been debated ever since Bram Stoker wrote Dracula. It's been thought over by scholars, stoners, and teenage girls. Do vampires exist? I can tell you the truth now, though. It will seem like a half-truth. The answer is... Not exactly. I started working for the Institute nearly five years ago. The Institute, which is what all of us agents call it, is because the name is too long to continuously say, specializes in the things in the dark. Not all of the things you were afraid of as a child are real, but I can without a doubt say that some of them are. Ghosts are real. Poltergeists are real. But I still put them in the ghost category, which was a constant irritation to Briggs. Werewolves, much like vampires, don't exactly exist. There have been zombies, and more importantly, there are things that most people have yet to imagine. I think this last, though Briggs disagreed with me, is how the idea of vampires came to be. I think that Stoker, or maybe just someone he knew, most likely that one, saw what became the legendary vampire. But I believe that is only what his brain allowed him to see. Vampires do not come with cloaks, Euro trash accents, and pensions for molesting young girls. They are monsters. I think that had this person relayed an actual account of what he or she had seen, that Stoker would have never written the novel. Because I think he would have killed himself. I debated it. My name is Dubell. First names aren't important here because I'm not in the habit of making friends. Briggs was my friend. I have a job to do and I do it. My job is to hunt things that shouldn't exist, things that squeak through creation, to learn about them and kill them. I wouldn't normally be sharing this, and you wouldn't normally know of my existence at all, but I feel this is going to be the equivalent of a public service announcement. Briggs has been dead for almost a year now, and I know the feedings will start again, soon. I know this all too well. Two, we were in Africa when we came across them. There was an outbreak of what they had called some sort of new bird or swine flu, or maybe this one was malaria. Though that's never what it is. I still find it amazing the lies people will tell themselves to sleep at night. The disease was quick. The infected would die in just a few days. It began with an itch at the back of the skull and a large knot. The knot would protract to the point of bursting. The subject would swell over 80% of their body, and all of the swollen areas would turn black. Ultimately, most subjects were killed by asphyxiation. The knot, or as we called it, the sack, contained blood, pus, and a certain black liquid. The black liquid had a very high viscosity. 
It was as though it were constantly in a state of coagulation that never quite reached a solid state. Briggs didn't like this. I think it's a sort of poison, Briggs said. It's a disease. All diseases are a sort of poison, I said. Briggs didn't respond to my tone of voice. I had tried to lay no shit pretty heavily over my voice, but Briggs was often in his own world of discovery. Well, yes, that is true, but this is different. I think the knot is an injection point, Briggs said and faded off. I knew he'd explain more, but sometimes you had to give Briggs time. He was smarter than anyone I'd known, and like most geniuses, it took a few minutes for his mouth to catch up with his brain. It's rarely a virus when we come to examine these things, and this is no exception. I don't believe this is a virus at all. I definitely don't believe it's contagious. As he said that last part, he began to unfasten the hood of his hazmat suit. I grabbed his arm and stopped him. Don't do that. It was all I could say. Sometimes my mind and mouth had to catch up with my instincts. There are over 300 people infected. You have no proof that this it, uh, that it isn't contagious. Except that I believe infected is the wrong word. He said and removed his hood entirely. He picked the body again and finally looked up from the cadaver. He had black ooze on his gloves and a small bit of pus was flecked on his glasses. He had begun to smile. What's the right word? I asked reluctantly removing my own hood and, began, and beginning to shuffle off the hazmat suit. I was never a fan of that smile. Briggs was often like a child once he really got going. It was like he thought he was in a Sherlock Holmes novel or even Encyclopedia Brown. I think the word you're looking for is attacked. He said it just like that. He didn't yell it, but you could tell in his mind the word was capitalized or possibly italicized. I looked down the many rows of patients, victims now, hundreds of them just moments from death. I shivered, but only once. My business there had officially began. 3. In case it isn't, hasn't been evident to this point, then I'll spell it out. Briggs was the brain. He was the one that made discoveries. The one that found new, interesting, and more often than not, terrible things. I was there to kill those things. Unlike most myths and legends, things from the dark die just as easily as things from light. There were things we didn't kill, such as certain breeds of fairies, and there was an albino bat the size of a pterodactyl in the Balkans that proved quite harmless, but most had to go. We sat in two lawn chairs and had tea. This may sound absurd with so many people dying nearby, but it was what helped us think. What do you think it is? I asked. I think the question is, what do I think they are? He replied. Briggs always had a way of correcting me. Pissed me off at first, but I got used to it over the years. He watched a lot of movies in his spare time, and this seemed to be his way of adding suspense. I just nodded so he'd know to continue. Mosquitoes. Where? I asked and distinctively slapped my neck. He laughed. No, that's what I think they are. I haven't studied very many mosquito bites because where I grew up, I never came across many. Most of my young life was spent on the East Coast, and every one of those rotten states had them. That isn't a mosquito bite, and that's not malaria. I replied. I felt justified in my response. I've been bitten by thousands of mosquitoes in my day, and down inside, but down inside, I had a feeling he was right, and I was wrong. That's how things worked. I believe you may be right about one of those, he said. He sipped at his tea before continuing. This most definitely not malaria. 
You see how everyone is scratching at the knob. It's one of the things that causes it to burst. So why would they continue to scratch? I knew my answer would be obvious, but I felt it was what he wanted me to do. So he could continue. Because it itches? Yes, because it itches with mosquito bites. There is an itching caused by the skin's reaction to the mosquito's saliva. There seems to be one small puncture hole at the center of each knot. It is extremely small, but it is present on every individual. I have no hard proof of this next part, so we'll call it a hunch. But I believe the black liquid is their saliva. I interrupted him at this point. He'd come up with some crazy theories before, but this seemed far-fetched even for our occupation. Those mosquitoes would have to be huge, and therefore not really mosquitoes. He smiled. It wasn't the smile I hated, but one I'd grown fond of. It was a smile that told me he was, I was finally catching on. That is correct. Judging from the size of the wound and the damage caused, then put against the size and damage of an actual mosquito bite, I'd say they're about your size. My size. I managed to ask. Your size. He said again, but this time any trace of a smile had left his face. For the record, I'm roughly six foot, weighing at about 230 pounds. I was sipping my tea and trying to imagine a mosquito that was Dubell's size, and my mind just wasn't latching on to the idea. How do we kill it? I asked. No idea, he said with a chuckle. What do you mean, no idea? Well, I, I don't know much about them, do, now do I? We need to see them to see if I'm right. I believe it is also very important for us to watch them feed. He said this with the smile I hated. The smile always seemed too playful. I think it was that smile that got him killed. Why do we have to watch them feed? He looked at me very intently for a moment. This might be harder to grasp than 200 pound mosquitoes. I laughed. He didn't. I've taken many blood samples from these people. None of them seem to be suffering from blood loss. But mosquitoes feed on blood. I added, Well, the ones we know of do, but of all the people I took blood from, not one looked away. Okay. I said, It wasn't a statement or a question, but more like a single word of confusion. Most people do not like needles and must turn their heads when getting a shot or having blood drawn, but absolutely none of them did. They all just watched me stick them with multiple needles. This time I said nothing. There was nothing I could say. He had officially lost me, but I had a feeling I'd be caught up very quickly. I don't think they have any fear of the needle. He was staring intently at me again. He seemed to be sizing up my ability to accept this. He seemed to think I could handle it. The puncture wound is in a very specific place at the back of the skull. The hole seems to go directly to the amygdala, that is, the fear center of the brain. I finished for him. This time I returned his intent look. You don't think they're feeding on blood. You think they're feeding on fear. He nodded. Fear, I whispered to myself. Four. <coughs> that night we went hunting, though to be fair is more like a stakeout. There was a fairly large tree standing in one of the open plains. There were still people milling around, so we didn't need to set a trap. This was a good thing, because, though I've never had a problem killing anything, animal or human, I didn't like choosing who would be bait. Briggs and I climbed into the tree and waited for nightfall. The moon was full, so night vision was good. Five men began a campfire below us. There was tall, dying grass around most of the field. 
but at the base of the tree, it was all gone. I thought this might be a place of congregation, which is why I picked the tree. Briggs thought it was a very lucky coincidence. He may have been the genius, but our minds definitely worked in different ways. How do you know they'll come to this area? Briggs whispered to me. I frowned at him because I didn't believe we should be talking at all. I think there is more than one of them. You keep saying they, so I assume you do too. If there are more than one, then most likely they hunt in packs. Also, judging from the amount of infected or attacked people, I would venture a guess that they each feed on one person. I replied in an even lower whisper. Otherwise, the numbers wouldn't be so high, he added with a nod. Yes, and we're in the tree for cover. So the men won't see us watching, he asked. Yes, however, it's also because if you believe they're like mosquitoes, then I have to believe they can fly. A look of pure shock dawned Briggs's face, and I realized he had never thought of this. They may not be able to. They may not even be mosquitoes, but this was the easiest way to try and put fate on our side. Then I saw the smile. That fucking smile. That smile brought him up that tree. I looked down and saw the grass on the plains parting. There were maybe five or six. We couldn't see them because the grass stood high, but it was parting like the ocean. They moved through the grass with a speed that made me ache. The grass stopped moving, and we could see there were six of them. They wore overcoats, the balls at the back. I assumed this meant wings, but from my experience, it didn't necessarily mean flight. They seemed to have an extra set of arms and legs, smaller than the first set. The arms coming out of the midsection and the legs coming out of the mid-thigh. They each stopped within ten feet of the men and began moving in a circle around them. They moved like us. They were not human. They stamped down the grass in quick movements, making a clear circle around the campers. What are they? Briggs tried to say, but I clamped my hand down over his mouth. Even Briggs's whisper was too loud. I moved my head next to his ear and barely let air escape. They're preparing to attack, I said. He looked at me with that goddamn smile and then looked down. But as the creatures began to move, I saw the worst thing I've ever seen. That smile that I already detested seemed to melt, and Briggs's mouth turned into a silent scream. His eyes still looked like they were laughing. Five. The creatures moved in almost a blur. I say almost because they had momentary lapses of slow. I'm afraid I don't know how to say that better, except it was like they were running full speed then hit a wall of invisible water. After they trampled the circle, they began. They started with a noise. It sounded like song. In fact, if I were pushed to explain, I might say it sounded like angels breathing fire. <laughs> like angels breathing fire. In other words, it sounded beautiful and very wrong. The men began to look around. Then a creature on the other side of the circle mimicked the harpsichordal chirp. The men looked that way, and some got to their feet. Another made the sound. The men began picking up rocks and sticks. These things may have made the men feel better, but we could see what they were up against, and it just seemed sad. They began to move towards the grass. They didn't know there was a ring of evil things waiting on the other side. One man parted the grass and looked through. He was immediately yanked through to the other side. The grass went back to the way it had stood, and the men in the ring became truly afraid. To this day, I can still smell that fear. Most people think that fear doesn't have an odor. 
And in a way, they are right. It is the sweat that oozes through the pores that has the scent. Sweat changes with fear. And I think these creatures knew that. They started moving around like drunks, the smell of their dinner intoxicating them. The man on the outside tried to back away, but one of the creatures grabbed him and turned him backwards. The man was now facing us, and so was the creature. The creature looked fairly human, though its eyes were a little too large and towards the outside of its head like frogs. They seemed to roll in their sockets. Its mouth seemed to op seemed human at first, but I was very wrong about that. It opened its mouth, and it just kept opening. It seemed to unhinge, and the tongue lolled out. And then we saw it. A trap tool, Briggs said, and I knew what he meant. It was most definitely not a trap door, but more like sliding glass. On the roof of the monster's mouth, a sliver of glass slid to the rear, and a long cylindrical tube began to protrude. The tube was as thin as a pin, but I had a feeling it was sharper than any I'd ever seen. If it weren't for the firelight glinting off of it, then we would never have seen, from, seen it from our distance. The pin, at almost two feet long, slid into the back of the man's skull. The man and the creature both began to convulse. The man seemed to be seizing from the shock, but the creature seemed to be convulsing from arousal. There didn't seem to be a visible ejaculation, but the deed was done nonetheless. A meal and a fuck, I thought, and shuddered for the second time since I got to that cursed country. The other creatures were still toying with the men. Briggs was becoming visibly agitated. Why don't they just kill them? He hissed. I looked at him solemnly. Because the more scared they are, the better they'll taste. I said and looked down. There was almost our undoing. Apparently seeing these men being fed off of and ultimately raped was too much for Briggs. He brought out his pistol and thumbed the hammer back. If it weren't if it were not for my absolute hatred of that sound, I may have looked instead of just reached, and that split second may have killed us both. My left hand shot out and found his pistol, and my thumb slid between the hammer and pin. He pulled the trigger, but there was only the dull thud of the hammer slam slamming my thumb. You will not get us killed. Not get us both killed because of some random and useless need for nobility. I said, my lips didn't move, and I barely breathed, but he heard every word. He didn't have to whisper, we didn't have to whisper at this point, because some of the men had begun screaming. You don't have to watch, but you will not interfere. Briggs closed his eyes. They all began to feed. I continued to watch. It was research, after all. Six. An odd thing happened next. I know this didn't seemed like a situation where you should expect anything and this was no exception a ball roughly the size of a baseball dropped from the left pant leg of the first mosquito monster then another five balls in all fell from that pant leg and the monster began his song again i looked at the others and realized they were laying eggs i didn't want to think what was under the odd clothing and i really didn't need to i had everything i needed they started to leave stay was all i said to briggs I didn't think he was going anywhere, but it seemed in imperative that I tell him anyway. As they parted the grass once more, sharks through water, I dropped out of the tree. I made no sound as I followed them. I had a th thought they might smell me, but I wasn't afraid. This was my job. It wasn't long before they vanished entirely. I was a good tracker, still am, but I thought I'd lost them. 
This made no sense to me. They were fast, too fast even. But I was staying with them. I moved slower. I thought they had gone into a forested area ahead, if that's what you would call it in Africa, where everything looked like it was dead and dying, but I was wrong. My left heel made a hollow sound, and I knew. I made my way back the way I'd come. I was starting to check landmarks and count paces and make sure that I could find it again. I knew I'd have to find that place again, and I wasn't taking chances. I got back to the tree, and Briggs was looking down at, my, at me expressionless. You can get down now, I said. Thought he may stay up there all night. He just stared at me. Then slowly he got out of the tree. Actually, fell the last five feet landing on his ass. I helped him up. You alright? I asked. Stupid question, but one we all ask. No, he said. His voice was barely a whisper. Were those eggs? I believe they were. I think this is how they reproduce and then go into hiding or maybe hibernation is closer. Where did they go? He asked. He was nowhere near smiling, but his voice was regaining strength. I think they live underground. I said. His eyes went a little wide at this. I found a hollow spot in the ground a little under a mile from here. I think that's where they live. Let's get them, he said, and started to walk the way I'd come. I grabbed him by the arm. Not tonight. I looked at him for a moment. I was trying to figure out his mental state. He seemed to be getting back on track, but I was quite certain that what he'd seen that night threw him. I ignored this because I wanted him to be okay. It might not have been the smile that got him killed. It might have been me. 7. It was the next day before I knew it. I hadn't slept, but somehow I had blinked, and it was daylight. Briggs hadn't slept either. He had just stared over the plains. He didn't look around much, but he wasn't on guard. He was lost in his own mind. I put an ammo belt on. It wasn't like the kind from the Old West that held only bullets, but a much newer one. Seven was my lucky number, so the belt held seven double-stacked clips, and each held 17 rounds. Technically, the gun had 18 because my gun always had one in the chamber. I was taught a long time ago that it didn't matter if there was a bullet in the chamber or safety on the gun. You were the only safety you needed. Briggs had a backpack that had God only know what in it and a sawed-off 10-gauge double-barreled shotgun. About a year ago, I had fashioned a sling for it because Briggs had a tendency to drop things in the heat of battle. He was no gunslinger. We had villagers follow along with us so that if we didn't return, they would at least know where to search or where to stay away from. I felt around on the ground. There was no latch or handle, but I was able to find the edges of the opening, slid my fingers under, and flipped up the covering of their lair. I never thought I'd use lair when I had originally debated writing this, but unfortunately, it's the only word that fits. The sun only reached to the first landing. I wasn't sure if sun hurt them but I was guessing yes. I didn't mean like an allergy or because they had unclean souls, but because I believed them to be nocturnal and underground dwellers. The one I had watched feed most intently had a very faded blue tint to his eyes, making me believe they weren't for sunlight. I'll go first, Briggs said. No, I said. He watched me for a moment. I can do this. You think. You don't shoot. I said. I felt slight anxiety at telling him his position but he seemed to not remember it i do this time he said and pushed me past me briggs dropped into the hole eight as far as i'm concerned there are three rules to a gunfight 
or if you want, three rules to life as well. First rule is remain calm. The person that freaks out and empties their clip is the person that dies first. The second rule is that emotions get in the way. If you go in with fear, anger, sorrow, or any other emotion clouding your mind, then you will lose. The third rule is do not be gung-ho. If you are in a situation where you believe you will have to draw and fire, then there is no hurry because odds are trouble is going to find you. Briggs broke the second rule when he became hurt and enraged by the watching the men suffer the indignity of rape as they were being fed on. Granted, this was not easy to watch, but I knew the rules. He broke the third when he pushed past me and jumped into the hole. He had seen a landing just below us, but it was a trap. He fell straight through about 20 feet and slammed it to the ground. I heard his legs snap. It wasn't kind of broken, but it was in fact only being held on by skin, and that was torn apart. He was, his screaming would have woken the dead. I quickly jumped into the hole and used the walls to go safely to the ground. Breaking the fake landing had allowed sun to reach all the way down to us. It was a small amount, but I planned to leave Briggs in it. He tried to get up and gave out another scream of pain. On a side note, I've learned that almost everyone who breaks an appendage will attempt to use it out of what I believe is sheer disbelief. I smacked the barrel of my pistol across his jaw and his yelping subsided. He stared at me shocked. You're a fucking idiot, I said. It was simple and to the point. I didn't watch him as I spoke, but watched the darkness. He made a grunt that meant he would try to reply, so I continued. There is a specific reason they send both of us. If you shut the fuck up and do as I say, you may live. He had no reply for this. I took his silence as understanding. I drew my pistol. I wore them crisscrossed over my chest. The left at chest level, the right at my hip. As my eyes adjusted, I could see that the darkness wasn't complete. There were crystals that were catching the light from the opening. That was enough for me. I could see them in one pile. They were a huddled mass at the center of the cave. They slept in their clothes and Briggs' screaming seemed to only cause them to stir. This was lucky for both of us. The mass seemed to be breathing. A mentor of mine once said that if it breathes, then it can die. I took aim. The report would be loud and wake them. I hoped that if we remained in the sun, there would be something like a barrier between us and them. I put down my sights and pulled Briggs back as far as I could, and then stood in front of him. The glare was a little worse now, but he seemed safer. I took aim once more and fired. The report was louder than I thought possible within a little cave, and it was only the first of many. I observed rule one and began to fire. I took out three before the pile had even dispersed. I saw one run off to my right. He seemed to vanish. This gave me pause, but I remained calm and killed two coming in from the left. A movement caught my eye from the right and up. The one that seemed to vanish was crawling across the ceiling. He was going for surprise and achieved it, but he still died. They could crawl across the ceilings. At that moment, I was quite certain Briggs was right in his mosquito theory. Then I knew he was right. Two of the upright, less-than-human creatures in front shed their coats, wings that were grotesque, unholy, spread wide, and they flew at us. This was nothing short of terrifying. I almost broke rule number one, but in the end, rules are what make us. I did, however, fire more rounds than were necessary. I emptied that first clip into the two flyers. I depressed the clip release, slammed the guns to my hips where the other clips sat, 
and clicked the triggers, sending one round into each chamber. That's when Briggs chimed in. I don't mean he started to speak, because if I'm going to tell the truth and shame the devil, I broke his jaw. I felt heat from behind me and then saw a Molotov cocktail go streaming over my head. It shattered and lit the background with horrific fire. Mosquito, vampire, demon things were everywhere, and for the first time, maybe ever, I began to panic. But Briggs helped. Briggs was what I called a Mr. Wizard chemist. That is to say that Briggs could make explosives out of some crazy shit. Briggs normally would explain what he was doing as he did it, but I got rid of his speaking ability. I glanced back and saw that he had about a dozen soda bottles filled with little round balls of tinfoil. He then reached into the bag and brought out toilet bowl cleaner. This is a good time, maybe an odd time, but a good time to mention that Briggs carried cleansers and things with him all the time. He wasn't quite germaphobic, but he wasn't far off either. Briggs sprayed toilet bowl cleaner into the first bottle, capped it, shook it, threw it. Nothing happened. Kept doing this, I kept firing. He had thrown out the eighth one when the first one exploded. There wasn't fire, but I saw dirt and pieces of mosquito fly by us. Black goose splattered the walls of the cave. I glanced back at him, and he was smiling, a crooked grin. He threw them all. Each explosion rocked the cave. I thought he may have a good plan. Bury them. That's when it happened. I hadn't let my guard down. But while I was switching clips once more, they had him. I saw a scraggly black arm with long black feelers, feeler hairs sticking out of it reach into the sun. It seemed like slow motion. It was faster than I could turn and fire. The hand latched onto Briggs's ankle and slid him into the darkness. I heard him scream as they tossed him onto the fire of the last Molotov cocktail and turned to me. My guns were at my side. I was confused. I had failed. I raised the gun in my right hand, a right hand that wasn't quite steady, and I fired one shot that smashed into Briggs's forehead. He died instantly. They made their song, I can still hear it, and they began to charge. Briggs's last few toilet cleaner bombs went off, and the cave began to collapse. I didn't move. Army wishes that I'd have died down there with Briggs. Like I said, he was my friend. Nine. There was an egg at my feet. I don't know if it got dislodged during the explosion or what, but it was there nonetheless. I took it and the photos of the dead back to the Institute. The egg was dissected. In a lot of ways, so was I. I was the survivor and the one with the most knowledge of the creatures. The pictures were scrutinized and analyzed. The scientists decided that these creatures had been around for a very long time. It may not have been the, these exact ones, but their breed at least. They believed that it has never been malaria in Africa, or the Black Death, or even the bubonic plague, but instead has been these creatures all along. The circular wound they caused could have been the rose rings of bubonic, and the black swelling could have explained the Black Death. The scientists learned one, more th one other thing. I told them of the huddled mass they were in, and well, I, I told them everything. From the mass of mosquito creatures, mosquitoes, Mosquito creatures that were too busy to even look at a screaming man, they got a lot of information. They take food, fear, back to the nest for the others to feed off of. Those wicked scientists are quite certain of this. 10. To kill cockroaches, you get a small black disc, sometimes even referred to as a roach motel. It contains poisoned food. Cockroach feeds from the disc and takes food back for the rest. They all share the poisoned food and die, or so the theory goes. 
the brilliant minds of the Institute devised something like this. They created sort of a fear toxin. Basically, it smells like fear, tastes like fear, but is death to all who drink it. I'm finishing this as I sit above their caved-in lair. Sometimes I can hear them digging. It sounds like a soft shuffle until they hit rock. And it sounds like that shiver-inducing sound of scraping a tip of a fork back and forth across a plate. I know the feeding starts soon. They are so very close. So I wait. The scientists have set a trap for the mosquito creatures, the true vampires, not the Nosferatu of TV and film. They created their toxin, but there was a catch. Isn't there always? It couldn't just be sat out in a dish for them to drink. It had to be injected. Injected into a human. I sit here waiting to die. Waiting for them to stop digging and just erupt from their hole. Waiting to see my friend Briggs again. Because I am the Mosquito Motel. The end. <coughs> that was awesome. I was waiting to cough for so long. <laughs> my eyes have been watering for like the last 10 pages. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> that was dope, man. Uh, I haven't. I haven't read that story in a long time. It was awesome hearing it again. I still think we need to write it into a screenplay. Yes. Um. For the record, um, for or a teleplay, all of you out there, I would. Um. We have actually um bounced around this idea, and we would we're gonna be working on it here in a little bit, I'm sure. But uh, we would like to actually turn this into the pilot for a TV show called The Institute. Um, so, um, if any of you out there are listening to this, would you like to watch this as the first episode of a TV show? Like what that was, is that a show that you would, uh, continue watching after that, despite the fact that, and you have to think about this logically, we are killing what seems to be the main character in the very first episode. Both the main characters. Yeah. Cause you know, fuck those guys, I guess. But no, um, but yes, we would. It would seem that we are killing the two main characters in the very first episode. Yeah. So, I don't think we should explain it. No, I'm not going to explain it. I'm yeah. just saying, like, uh, but would you want... I mean, if this was the pilot episode of a TV show, would you be like, holy shit, I'm going to watch the rest of this? Or would you be like, what the fuck? I'm done. I would, but I'm a little biased. Yeah, well, weird. Me too. So, yeah. But anyway, uh, that was the Mosquito Motel. Um, I hope you all enjoyed it uh, feel free to give us your thoughts um, on uh, on Twitter uh, at at M-I-A-Z podcast or at uh, John Long Waz Waz is W-O-Z hell yeah uh, if you enjoyed the podcast subscribe on iTunes uh, Podbean and Stitcher and uh, keep listening thanks very much for listening Yeah, thank you so much and hope you enjoyed. Peace.